When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, Your world can be as big or as small as you make it. And I think that oftentimes the component in our lives that makes our world seem small or big is fear. Think about it. Fear is a game changer and usually the biggest factor in why we make the decisions we do, whether we realize it or not. However, here's an idea that stops me in my tracks. What if our deepest fears are shining guideposts? lighting the way to what we truly want in life. Instead of pushing them aside, what happens if we begin listening to our fears and allow them to lead us bravely into the unknown? My Sounds Good guest today, Mira Lee Patel, has taken the big, scary concept of fear and crafted a personal yet universal love letter to it. Mira is an illustrator and she's an artist and she's raised on the shore of New Jersey And she recently released her latest book, My Friend Fear, Finding Magic in the Unknown. Today, she joined me in the studio to help us all examine fear, where it comes from, how it can hold you back, and how it can be harnessed into a power for good. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. I honestly think that this conversation could change everything. Let's dive right into it. Mira, you moved to Nashville just a few months ago now. How has Nashville time been? It's been amazing. And I came from Brooklyn where I'd been for five years. And I came here in May of 2017 during a six-month solo traveling around the country, just kind Dang. of, yeah, doing my own thing, finally feeling free, doing stuff that scared me. Uh, traveling alone was always, I was like, I can't do it. It's really scary. Something's going to happen to me. And I got so sick of hearing myself say that, that I was like, I'm going to do it. Really? Yeah. Six months, you said? Six months, yeah. How many states did you visit? I think seven or eight plus Vancouver. Wow, so, that's amazing. Too, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. So I came yeah. here. I got to Nashville in May and I stayed here for a month and I just fell in love with everybody I met. I made an amazing group. Nashville kind of does that. Yeah. I started dating somebody. Whoa, from here? From here. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I kept traveling. I was like, I'm only here for a month, like no ties. I kept going, and then I eventually moved back here at the end of October. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really, really fun. Bring me back to this process of beginning this road trip then, because that's fascinating. So 2017 was, for me, full of surprises and a lot of change that I had been working so hard towards through all of my 20s. I finally quit my full-time job. How long were you at your job? Seven years. Seven years? What were you doing? 
I was an editor at a technical publishing company, and we published papers written by electrical engineers. <laughs> Where did that come from? How did you get started doing that? I went to school for journalism. Okay. And I landed an internship there the month after I graduated, and that turned into a temporary position, and that turned into a permanent position. And I was very, very, very unhappy. Really? Mm-hmm. The whole time? The entire time. Wow. And after about a year of working there, I felt so disconnected from myself. The work I was doing was very important. Um, engineers are amazing. My, my dad is an engineer, so he was really excited for me to be working <laughs> there, and I was just not feeling it. But I didn't feel like myself, and the work felt very monotonous and meaningless to me. Hmm. And so I began painting after hours just as a way to get that spirit of myself back into me to feel like myself again. Had you ever painted before? Uh, you know, just here and there as a, as a child, I loved yeah. being artistic and being creative and making things, but it was never anything serious, you know, I took seriously. After doing that on my own for a couple months, I was like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it work. And I freelanced on the side for six, seven years before wow. finally I could quit. And your dad was an engineer. My like, dad's an electrical like, engineer. What did your parents think about you, you know, leaving the engineering world yeah. and, and transitioning to being an artist? Well, they'd seen me working towards it for so long, and they've been so supportive and encouraging. That's sweet. Yeah, and their thing is that they're immigrants. They came here from India when they were 27, 28. Wow. They built a whole amazing life from absolutely nothing on their own, no family close by. And they're very pragmatic. They're like, we love that you're an artist, but could you not quit your job? <laughs> and I didn't. And I stayed until I knew I could take care of myself. That's incredible. My well, and yeah. I think that's a really cool way to pursue art because I think it would be easy to be like, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. But it sounds like you kind of ramped up to it. I did. And it was, I mean, don't get me wrong. My 20s were really, really hard. They were really lonely. Because I worked two jobs. I didn't take weekends off. I didn't make time for relationships or social engagements or nurture my friendships. It was I was very one-tracked. I wanted it so badly that mm. all I did was work. It was lonely. What artists do is lonely to make the work. It's just you in a room looking at yourself, digging through your feelings. It's uh, very emotional and it can be isolating. So it was tough, but it was, I I gave up so many times and I can never stick with it. I can never stick with giving up. Really? Yeah, because my two options were to keep trying or to say it's too hard and I'm going to stick with my job and just be okay with that. And that wasn't good enough. I had to know that I at least tried and I did everything I could. And wow. so I kept going. That's incredible. Thank you. I would do it again. Good. Yeah. Wow. You have a new book, My Friend Fear. Yes. I am holding it right now. Look at this. Look at how many dog-eared pages there are. <laughs> it's almost to a point where, like, it's not helpful that I dog-eared them because they're almost all dog-eared. The whole uh, book is a dog ear. The whole book is a dog ear. It doesn't <laughs> help me find any of the pages that inspire me because all the pages <laughs> inspire me. That's but, amazing. Um, but this is incredible. This Thank is beautiful. You. What I love most is the words and the ideas because as I was reading them, it brought to mind fears that I had forgotten about, fears that I hadn't thought about, but it also 
created comfort around those fears. Yeah. And I love that so much. But the other thing that I love is just how beautiful it is. The whole thing Thank is you. art. It's watercolors. I So I posted about this on Instagram the other day, yeah. on my Instagram story. And I had a dozen, two dozen people reach out and say, that is the most beautiful book cover I've ever seen. And oh I said, goodness. just wait till you see the inside. It's incredible. That's so, amazing. Congratulations on this you. book. You're welcome. Thank you, though. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. How are you feeling? How's the book launch process been? It's been good. It's been very uh, intimate. And everyone said, oh, you did you did the hard work of writing the book and illustrating it. And now it's out in the world. How do you feel? And ironically, I feel really scared. <laughs> hmm. I feel really scared that people are going to, this book is all of me. It's um, all of me up until now and all the fears that have governed my life for so long. And so it's very intimate. It's very vulnerable. And it makes me nervous knowing yeah. that people are out there reading it. Maybe people that I'll never hear from or meet and maybe people I've known my entire life that I've never talked about these fears with. Wow. So it's a lot of letting the entire world in at once. That's wild. What inspired you to write a book about fear? I mean, that's really intimate. I feel like I've had such a journey with fear and I've gone from running away from it and hiding from it to finally looking at it and examining it and seeing, is this something that I'm supposed to push aside or is it something that I'm supposed to pull closer? And I do think that I've had a transformative experience with fear throughout my life. Um, Mostly in my 20s is when I began to even consider looking at it Mm. instead of running away from it. Tell me about that. Uh, A lot of my life, most of my life, my decisions have been made out of fear. Like you mentioned, when you read it, it reminded you of fears that you forgot you had. A lot of our fears are latent. They lay low. They're inside our bones, and we don't even remember that they're there. And we, a lot of times, feel like we have full agency over our actions, and we're making a, we're taking action because we want to, and the choices we're making are deliberate. But a lot of times, they are pushed by that shadow of the fear. And unless we deliberately decide to examine the fear and understand why it's there and what it's telling us, we will always make decisions and choices out of fear and oftentimes not even realize it. You said that you kind of you began that process, you know, in your 20s of actually diving in. Do you remember what the catalyst was for yeah. actually diving in? I remember in 2015 being honestly very sick of myself. I knew that I was saying no to things. I was saying no to going on trips with friends. I was saying no to leaving my job. I was saying no to making any sort of change and venturing into a place I had never been before out of fear. I was sick of the person I was. I was sick of making those decisions and knowing that they were the opposite of what I really wanted, but that I was too scared to step forward. And I had a catalyst moment where I said, no, I'm doing things differently. And that's when I really began to ask myself questions to understand, you know, am I doing this because I'm scared of A, B, and C, which is what I'm telling myself? Or is it really D, E, and F that is buried so far down inside me and is so scary and I feel maybe shame or guilt around these fears that I don't even talk about them. I pretend they don't exist. I pretend that my red fear is really blue fear because I don't want to look at the red. 
And so I decided I was going to, I didn't want to be that person anymore. And I wanted to live my life differently. And I didn't want to regret not living the life that I really wanted because I was so scared of everything around me. It sounds like you were asking a lot of questions and your book is filled with a lot of questions. Yes. One of my favorite traits in a human being is curiosity. Tell me about this idea of curiosity versus security and how that kind of plays into fear. So we are constantly seeking security. We're seeking comfort. And a lot of that is fear-based, but it is in a very evolutionary, instinctual way. It's to protect us. Um, Our mind doesn't want our body to ever be harmed. And so it says, hey, you're in a good spot right now. You're fed, you're watered, you have a roof over your head, you have people who love you. Maybe don't rock the boat. Maybe stay exactly where you are. I talk a lot in the book about the unknown and how we often see an unknown place or experience. We're constantly like, these are all the things that can go wrong there. And that's why I'm not going to do it. But the unknown has equal chances of being dark and scary as it does being beautiful and magical and holding not only all of the things that you've always wanted and imagined, but all of the things that you've never even dared to imagine. There are things that you can't even comprehend that could be possible and that can come to you if you dare to go there. And so that's where curiosity comes in when you say, well, what else is out there? And... Should I give it a try? And can I turn it over? And can I look at it more closely? And I think curiosity can be a very beneficial tool for us as people to use to get more out of life and to live inside a larger world instead of only that safe, small one that we've carved out for ourselves. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that now. Just, Just to dare, just to venture a little bit Somewhere that feels a little bit uncomfortable, discomfort is okay. It doesn't mean good or bad. It just means that it's different. And if you don't stretch yourself in those ways and you don't push your own boundaries, you'll never be able to expand. And that means your life doesn't get to expand and the world you're in doesn't get to expand. It will always be as small. You can make it, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, one of my favorite quotes, he says, your world can be as big or as small as you decide to make it. And so knowing that that's up to you and you can make choices to expand your world, that's really, I think, empowering. Yeah, yeah. And we've had a few conversations on this podcast in the past about curiosity and travel and, you know, trying new things. And it's fascinating how, and maybe this is the reason I'm so drawn to people who have the trait of curiosity because their worlds are so big. It it creates a bigger world. And that's something that I think that I strive for in Mm -hmm. many ways. Me too. It's a practice. Yeah. It's not easy. No. And it's not maybe something that you'll ever feel comfortable doing, but I do think like any other habit, it gets easier and easier. Yeah. And, And it's interesting because you can almost become comfortable with a certain kind of exploration, a certain kind of adventure or discomfort. You know, I became really comfortable a few years ago with travel. Like it it didn't even become a big deal for me. I would just be like, oh, I'm going to this place I've never been before. A little scared, but I'm just going to go do it. And I realized that, that in many ways, maybe the thing that I feared more was uh, staying home and getting to know myself and diving inward. 
And so yeah. that was kind of this this thing where I, I had almost a switch. It was a distraction. Yeah. It, whereas initially it was, I think, healthy for me to per, like to push those boundaries of fear. Yeah, because you identified a fear and you're like, I'm going to confront it and yeah. I'm going to do it anyway, which is amazing. And it's also, I think, amazing that you started to notice that it became an escape and what you were really escaping was yourself. Yeah. So what did you do? So I... I mean, a number of things. I started having more intimate conversations with people I loved about, you know, myself and 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 who I am and themselves and, and being able to dive into those conversations. I started going to counseling, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I started reading a little bit more, but I'm like still very much in this process of figuring things out. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, I think it's continual because you so. are also constantly changing yeah. as you should be. That's how you're growing and learning and becoming the person that you want to be. And so it's a constant practice to get to know yourself. Man. Which is also, (laughs) I think that's so incredible. I love that you can be as many people as you want to be. Like they're all inside you. And whether you allow them to come out and whether you look at them and want to get to know them, that's up to you. It is really funny. As I was reading your book, I was like, it felt a little bit like counseling as I was going really? through it. Yeah, because in a I, good way, or in a, did it in feel a good way, invasive? in a really helpful, healthy way. Okay. What was great was I appreciated your ability to be intimate and real and, and share parts of yourself that it seemed difficult to share. And yes, it was really interesting because as you shared those things, that was what triggered my processing into my own life. It wasn't the examples or the ideas or the poems or the quotes. It was your story that yeah. pulled those out of You're me. having a conversation with me. Yeah. You're like, oh, you shared a little bit. I'll share a little bit. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is what I, I wanted to make something that people, I mean, all of my work has one singular purpose, which is to make people feel less alone. I really want people to know that I am just like them and they're just like me. And I'm hoping that the more that people see that we are all connected in these amazing, undefinable ways, the more they feel comfortable not only being themselves but letting other people see them. And that was my intention, to make people feel less alone and then to to help them feel connected. That's good. And so I'm really happy to hear that it did that with you. Good. Yeah. You just mentioned that you felt different and, you know, this idea that, that our fears are universal but you can still kind of, you know, feel othered, um, even though we're all connected. And you mentioned earlier that your parents are immigrants. What was that experience like for you? So I honestly believe that everybody feels like an other at one point, if not constantly in their lives. Totally. And for me, that started very early. My parents, uh, as I mentioned, immigrated from India in their late 20s. And I was born and raised in a tiny, tiny town in New Jersey called Little Silver, which I loved and I have such an affinity for. But we were the only non-white family um, in the whole town. And so I went to, I was the only non-white child basically from kindergarten to eighth grade before I went to a high school that had a lot of students from different districts. And so I constantly felt different and I was constantly reminded that I was different. Um, I spoke Gujarati, so that's a language that nobody's familiar with. I learned English in school. And I think I felt alone 
misunderstood and really ashamed a lot of the time, ashamed of my culture and my ethnicity and who I was because I just wanted to fit in. And I actually remember vividly, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, to be honest, but in middle school, I would actually try to scrub myself white in the shower and try to become lighter. And like, you'll even, if you go to India now or you go to pockets of India in the United States, there's all sorts of skin bleaching creams. Totally. I've seen it. Things like that. Yeah. Because to be lighter is to be better. And that is something that I wanted to be. And so that was my experience as a child feeling different. And it was very um, physical. Yeah. You know, because I, you know, I remember as a kid thinking that I might be different, you know, wondering, you know, do other people think the same thing as me? Do I, you know, are we different internally? But I never had to, you know, worry other than having goofy hair. Sure. uh, (laughs) If I was different. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And so that, you know, that's something that I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I think that, The point in me saying that story is that, yes, I was clearly different in a physical sense, but you felt different internally. And so that was an invisible fear of being different that Mm. maybe nobody even recognized or asked you about, but you still had it. And that's what connects us, that we both felt like strangers and didn't know why we should feel that way. Let's unpack both of these a little bit because in your book you talk about fears and kind of flipping them on their heads and Mm -hmm. you know the two sides of fears and these questions you can ask yeah so with this internal and external fear I don't even know where to begin you're the expert on this but um (laughs) I mean the first thing is what is the underlying root of these you know like that was something that you talked about in your book you know what's the underlying root behind yes these fears So in the book, I talk a lot about rational and irrational fears. And rational fears are ones that have a root. So you could say with this fear of being different, I could say, well, I have a fear of meeting people or becoming friends, close friends with people who don't look like me. And does that have, does that fear have a root? Yes. Because when I was younger, I was made fun of and picked on for being different, for being Indian. So th- you would say that has a root. Yeah. But another fear, I ha- you know, you could have a fear of drowning. Now, does that fear have a root? You could either say, yes, well, I almost drowned when I was little, so that has a root and it stayed with me. Or you could just say, well, I'm afraid to die. Mm. That's not a root. That's an irrational fear because there is nothing in your life that has told you that the water is yeah, going to take yeah. you. And so it's very important, I think, when you're looking at your fears to develop uh, the skill, really, to separate irrational from rational, because the rational ones are there to serve you. They're here to say, hey, you tried this once before and it hurt you. Do you want to try it again? And I hope that in most cases you'll say, yes, I'm going to try it again anyway. But it serves their purpose. Irrational fears just keep you in the same place. That irrational fear is saying, don't go in the water. Don't go to the beach. Don't go on a boat because you have this huge fear of dying that, you know, is a real fear, but it's keeping you from experiencing something beautiful just out of fear. And so when you develop that skill at being able to differentiate rational and irrational fears, and you can do this on a daily basis. Oh, I'm afraid to smile at that stranger I passed on the street. Is that rational or 
irrational. Yeah. And then you can make decisions that aren't out of irrational fear. That's really good. And I mean, your book is called My Friend Fear. Yes. Would you say that your friend fear is the rational fear and irrational fear isn't a friend or are they both friends? I think they're both friends. And I think that they become friends when you learn to see them and understand them instead of running away from them. You'll see that your real fears are really pointing the direction to what you really want out of life. So Mm. I was, let's say, I'm afraid to become close to people who don't look like me or aren't from my country or culture. And that is not because I don't really want them in my life. But if I really dig, dig, deep down into where the root of that fear is, it's a fear of not being accepted or a fear of not being loved. And I do want to be loved by others, especially people who aren't like me. I want us to be able to find what connects us and where that understanding is and where we can find the beauty and what is so different about us. And so that tells me I'm so scared of meeting new people, but it's because I really want to. Mm. It's because that's what I want to forge new relationships And so when I understand that, then I say, okay, I feel scared. I know that maybe I'll be rejected or that somebody won't like me and that's okay. And I'm going to give it a shot anyway, because on the other side could be something really beautiful. And I think that's kind of the, the biggest experience that I've had with fear, even before I became more self aware was this idea that fear leads me to the things that I'm most drawn to. Absolutely. Like I remember early on in my photography career, I was telling you before we got started that my background is in photography. And I just remember being so scared of certain shoots and deciding, hey, I'm going to do these anyway. And those were just such fulfilling experiences after I did them. Yeah. But it took getting over that hurdle of fear. And it's also de-escalating the fear. The more it's like this big, abstract, confusing, overwhelming, just like dark fear, the more it keeps us in the same place. But when you start to unpack it and examine it, it de-escalates it. It takes the weight out of the fear. And so you realize, well, I'm afraid of this photo shoot. What if I don't do a good job? What if the client's unhappy? What if the lighting stinks or I can't get the shots that I want? And I talk about this in the book, but I find the best question to ask in those moments is, so what? Hmm. So the lighting was awful and you didn't get the good shots and maybe the client's a little bit cranky. So what? Can't you reschedule it? Can't you try again? Don't you have another chance to do better? And the answer is usually yes, you do. And usually the worst thing you're imagining is not that bad and is not something you can't turn around. Yeah, it is really motivating. I I guess the other side of that is if I'm really scared that the lighting's going to fail you know, I might work harder to ensure that it doesn't. Yeah. And then even if it does, you know, you're right. I probably do have another chance. But it's it's interesting that even just that upfront fear, it's just trying to help me in many ways. Yeah. And it's, it's reminding you, these are the things that could go wrong. How can we take care of these? How can we put measures into place so that we aren't confronted with these issues that are overwhelming us? One of the fears that you talked about in your book was this fear of going to the beach. Tell me a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure. So this was a fear that I grappled with, whether I should put it in the book or not, because it is probably the one that I've had for the longest, my entire life. And it's the one that I always ran away from. And it's the one that I allowed to bring so much shame into my life. And so it's a body insecurity. And the reason I decided to include it in the book is because I think that everybody has 
body issues. Everyone has physical insecurities that they carry around with them and they allow them to expand and hurt them way more than they should. And so I thought about it a lot. I talked to a few close friends and they were like, you know what, this is a universal fear. We think it's really important you include it. We know you feel really vulnerable and, you know, scared of people knowing this about you, but you should do it. It's important. And so I wrote about my own body fears. And I think it's really important for me to acknowledge them because most people see me as just this small, petite girl. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, you're so lucky. That's your size and things like that. And what they don't know is that I carry so much shame about my body. And there are so many things that I wish I could change about it. And so when I was born, I had corrective surgery um, on my left foot and leg to correct the positioning of it. Oh, wow. And I wouldn't have been able to walk otherwise. And so I had a, a surgery when I was born, tiny baby, and then again at six months. And I wore braces for many years and corrective shoes and things like that. And because of that, I have a 20-inch scar that just snakes up the back of my leg. Oh, wow. And all along the side of my foot. And I've always been very, very ashamed of it. And so as soon as I became cognizant of the fact that I was different and that this was something that other people were going to pick on me for, I just started hiding. And I did not go to the beach probably from age 10 to 25. Wow. And I lived on the Jersey Shore. Oh, man. (laughs) I was a stone's throw from the beach. And the beach is, you know, the one place where you really can't hide that you know otherwise you can wear like long socks or pants or right you know anything it was where I couldn't escape myself and it was terrible because I kept myself from amazing experiences like we live on a beautiful earth that has ocean water and breezes and sand and seaweed and I kept myself from elements of the earth which destroys me now to think that I took so many years from myself, being afraid and being ashamed. And what is important here, I think, is that I pinned all of my fears and shame onto other people. I said, well, the world isn't going to accept me and my friends won't like me anymore and other people are going to make fun of me. And I kept saying that the root of this fear was all externally based. Other people are responsible for this fear. If people were nicer, if people were better, then I wouldn't have to be so insecure about my body and they would accept me and it would be fine. But because the world is so mean, I have to feel this way. And it wasn't until my mid-20s when, again, I was just sick of myself. I thought, what if I don't have another 25 years? Am I really just going to not be in the ocean. I'm not going to feel the water against my skin. I'm not going to feel comfortable in a bathing suit. What happens when I have kids? I'm like, they're going to say, mama, we want to go to the beach. I'm going to say no. Like mom can't get into a bathing suit. Her fear is crippling her. And I thought about how small this fear had made my life and how much bigger I wanted my world to be. And I also put it in perspective. So someone can make fun of me. So what? Is that the end of the world? No, it's not. Have I been made fun of before? Yes. Have I lost friends before? Yes. Have I felt really lonely and isolated before? Yes. And what happened? I changed it. I got out of it. And I can do that again. So I decided I'm going to stop 
making those actions based on my fear and my shame. The other thing I did was to examine, was this fear and this shame, was it other people, were they really responsible for it? Was it the world that was being so mean? And as I started unpacking it and understanding why I felt such shame about my body and why I was afraid to let anybody see me, I discovered that it was because I didn't accept myself. For so long, I said other people aren't going to accept me. But when it was just me in a room with my own body, I felt uncomfortable. I didn't accept myself. I didn't like who I was. And so that was a lot of work to understand why I felt that way and how I could change it. And that is an ongoing process. And it's still something I work on and something that uh, is difficult for me. But the important part is that it's something I want to work on. And it's something approaching myself with kindness and acceptance is a difficult practice, I think, for most people. But I take a tiny step towards it every day. And I think that's the important part. I think that's beautiful. And I'm really glad you included it in the book because earlier when I said that as you shared your stories, it, it brought stories out in myself. Yeah. That was one of those where, you know, very specifically, I, I thought about how growing up when I would go to the pool, I would like cross my arms when Cover I would walk because I, yeah, it was just this insecurity of, of my body and yep. the way that I looked and not wanting to be made fun of. Right. And... I had probably completely forgot about that and, yeah. and bringing that back up actually allowed for some healing and some mm-hmm. growth. And I think that continuing to keep that buried would have been it would unhealthy. Come, yeah. And it would surely come up in different, darker ways sometime mm. in the future. And I think forgiving ourselves for past shame we felt and past things we've done to ourselves is important. You know, you would forgive a friend you would forgive somebody that has hurt you because you know they didn't mean it. And so why wouldn't you do that for yourself? It reminds me a little bit. I've got my notes in front of me from when I read your book. I've got, look, there's like three arrows here pointing to this <laughs> spot right here. And I said, goosebumps, page 136. <laughs> I'm going to pull up page 136 really yeah, quick. Yeah, let's take a look. Because, um, oh my goodness, this is this is like what really got me. Can I actually just have you read this page? Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. All of 136. Artists are often admired for their work because it is difficult. It requires them to be vulnerable. Writers pour their thoughts onto paper and wait for others to critique them. Dancers rise early and practice for hours, going home to nurse their bleeding feet and aching limbs. Painters work tirelessly for months on end, only to tear down their canvases and start all over. No one will ever say that making anything worthwhile is easy. We respect artists for their daring and punish ourselves for our fears, not realizing often enough that we are all artists ourselves. Living is art. Taking chances is art. Being present for ourselves and others is art. Oh my gosh. I was reading that and I just had to stop reading. It was just such a wow moment for me. and. Um, there's so much pressure to be somebody else and to do what other people are doing. And I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for when you, I will wait in line for coffee in Nashville. This has started happening to me, which is incredible. I'm waiting at the drive-thru for coffee and I get up to the window and some, and the person, the cashier tells me, oh, the guy in the front just bought your coffee. So like, don't worry about it. Drive through. And that is an incredible thing. 
And that that is an art to practice that kind of kindness for a stranger to help somebody on the street to say hello to the person in the room that doesn't have anybody to talk to. Those are all as incredible and worth being acknowledged as writing a book or making a painting or being in a play. Absolutely. And even the, you know, the internal things that we can do as well, just being present with ourselves and and diving in deeper. I think yeah. The growth that you were speaking about with your body and the, you know, the growth that we've experienced over the course of trying to become more self-aware. Right. I think that's the process of overcoming obstacles and that's the process of becoming an artist or, you know, yeah, an athlete or that anything. That is evolution. I mean, what could be more artistic and amazing than seeing how far you've come and how much further you're still going to go and knowing that every day you're making choices that are deliberate and that are coming for, from the heart instead of out of fear. There's nothing better. Everybody can do that. Everyone is that artist. Everyone can do it. Do you think everybody does? Or do you think that some people live their lives without this process of, of growing? I think that some people do live without this process of growing. I will say that I don't always feel it's within their hands. A lot of people have a life and death issues and circumstances that they deal with on a daily basis. But I do think that everybody has the ability to be a better version of themselves each day. And I think that this is really important. Something, you know, a lot of our fears come from comparing ourselves with others and putting other people on a pedestal and beating ourselves up. And this invites so much insecurity and shame and guilt and I think the best thing you can do is to stop comparing yourself to others, especially strangers on the internet, <laughs> but compare yourself to yourself. Say, well, last last year I did this and this year I did this. I have come further. It's not where is, you know, this stranger in their life. It's where was I and where am I now and where can I go and what are the changes I can make to help me get there? And I think that is a useful comparison to constantly remember that you can make changes and do things a little bit differently to get closer to where you want to go and closer to who you want to be. That is beautiful. I don't want to end this conversation, but I think that we're getting close to the time. And uh, I do want to ask one more question, though, and, you know, just to kind of bring it all together and, and leave people with something practical your book is called My Friend Fear, and it's about the process of befriending fear. Mm -hmm. For people who are the beginning of their journey, you know, and I think we all have a long way to go in our journey, and nobody's, you know, going to finish this journey. No, um, it's ongoing. What's a practical, tangible piece of advice you would give them to get started building this relationship with fear and letting it be a guide and not a goalie? Right. So fear, there's a physical side of fear. There are, you know, cold, clammy palms. There's heart racing. There is your mind either being stunned into silence or being filled with noise. And so my advice would be the next time you feel fear, notice it. Say, I feel really scared right now. And then begin the process of examining it by just asking yourself why. Why do I feel afraid right now? And maybe write it down. If it's something, I find it overwhelming to think through things all the time, so I write them down. Why do I feel afraid? I feel really scared that I'm going to go to this job interview and not get it. And then ask yourself, okay, so what if that happens? And write down all the things that could go wrong. And then look at them and 
try to take a little perspective with it and understand, is it so bad? Is there something you can do to prevent it from happening? And also recognizing and giving yourself grace and saying, a little bit of this is out of my hands and that's okay. And I'm going to do the best I can and we'll see how it goes. So to answer your question more simply, the next time you feel fear, stop, recognize that you're feeling fear and ask yourself, why am I afraid? And then go from there to unpack it and examine it. I just feel like this whole conversation was one big wow moment for me. I I hope I'm not the only one. It can be so easy to let your fears rule your life without noticing it and so hard to figure out how to stop doing it. So like Mira said, the next time you feel fear, stop, recognize it, ask yourself why it's there and then examine it. Y'all do yourself and everyone else a favor by following Mira on social media. I love her on Instagram and Twitter. And most importantly though, go and pick up her book. It's called My Friend Fear. I feel like I learned so much about myself along the way. It's truly so brilliant. You can actually get a special edition with a journaling section in it at Barnes & Noble. And you guys, the book is brand new. Mira is incredible. So if you love it as much as I did, go on Amazon and leave a review. It helps more people find it. I know that she'd appreciate it. If you knew it sounds good, we would love for you to stick around. You'd also love my conversation with the author of Choose Wonder Over Worry, Amber Ray, or the brilliant Adam J. Kurtz. Both of these people completely embody so much of what we've talked about in this episode, and I think you'd love their conversations. You can find these episodes and another 90 or so episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. In fact, wherever you're listening to podcasts right now. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edited and mixed the show, and Christy Karenbrock provided production support. Oh, and here's one more thing that's really cool. I'm so excited to share that issue three of the good newspaper is getting ready to be shipped out the first week of February, and you can pre-order it online. You can visit shop.goodgoodgood.co and make sure you don't miss out on this newest issue of the good newspaper. Truly, it's, it's something we're really proud of. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Let's start moving towards seeing our fears as an opportunity to uncover beauty and magic in the unknown. Sound good? 